It's great to be here. Uh, it's, you know, it is a real joy to speak in America. I do love your country. I hope you love your country. I think most Americans do love their country, actually. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. I know British people might be listening to this recording, so anyone who's Brit- British who's listening to this, I love you, Brit- Britain as well, and uh, warts and all. But I, I think there's many things to celebrate about your country, just to encourage you, just for a moment. Um, I think one of them is your, is your enthusiasm. You know, that I think you might not think you're very enthusiastic, but you, you, as a culture, you really, really are. I mean, we've only been here six months, but the, the level of enthusiasm for kind of everything, um, you know, from Thanksgiving to Halloween to Christmas to New Year's, is this sort of like atmosphere in the nation of like, what's next? What can we celebrate next? And uh, it's, it's wonderful, actually. I think it's a great thing. And, and so I, I actually think, um, this is my smooth transition, that as you, as you are culturally as the strength that you have culturally is something you have as a culture in your, in your kind of blood, um, that enthusiasm for life generally, I, my heart is over the next half an hour is that um, your enthusiasm for the word of God would eclipse your enthusiasm for almost anything else. Not, not entirely, as I'll make my point in a moment, uh, but, but my heart is that this site would be known as a people in a time when things are changing so quickly, aren't they, in the world. Just, just all the time this world is changing is that actually the beautiful word of God, which is timeless and eternal, would produce in you a daily, hourly, moment-by-moment enthusiasm that genuinely is, is something that marks you out. And as um, Brian asked me to speak on this subject, uh, and I think the title we've got today is How to Read the Bible Devotionally. Um, So today will probably be a little bit more, not quite a seminar, but just so your expectations are appropriate, it will be a bit more sort of Tom's tips on on how to read the Bible. And I'm I'm sure, I really mean this, in a room like this, it's always intimidating speaking because loads of you will know your Bible way better than me and should be up here. Um, So these are just... Just hopefully some helpful, practical, and sort of um, convictions as well that I feel in my heart. And I guess just by way of introduction, I would say this. Um, Certainly in the UK, and my suspicion is perhaps here a little as well, is that um, more and more with the generation coming, and it's interesting, I think quite a lot of your students or 20s are at Mobilise right now, so they need to listen to this, but, um, but your kids who are being taught at the moment, more and more... It's an issue, you know, knowing the Bible, loving the Bible, knowing actually practically how to feed yourself is something that is so vital for the next generation. Now, I know that's a little bit of a sweeping statement because I'm sure there are some who are younger who are superb at it and then some of you guys who are maybe older who aren't. But you know what I'm saying. I think that one of the things never to assume is that actually the next generation know the Word of God. In the UK in the last 40 years... There's been a tremendous move of the Holy Spirit, actually. Um, Really amazing. It is now mainstream in Anglicanism and in the Baptist movement and in all the main denominations, including New Frontiers, uh, for charismatic life to be normal. It's amazing. It is no longer this weird group on the edge who believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In the city I came from, the seven or eight main churches that would be really word and spirit 
nearly all of them, probably six out of the seven, would overtly be charismatic. That's Anglican churches, that's Baptist churches, that's churches of, of lots of different denominations. That's great, right? We love the Holy Spirit. But one of the interesting trends that's happening is the next generation who are just growing up with the Spirit as a person they know is an assumption of the Word. You understand? They feel Him. They know Him. Praise God. But there's an assumption in the next generation of the Word. And what that means is, is that many in the next generation don't actually have the foundation of the Word in them that, that their fathers and their mothers did. So this is a very, very important issue, actually. Um, that we must never uh, assume. The other thing I'll just say as we get into this is, as one of the wonderful things about churches like this is, um, is we believe in you know the sort of the theological phrases and the priesthood of all believers. And what we mean by that is, is that all of you get to participate. Okay, that's like what the Reformation was about. A lot of that 500 years ago was the fact that it's not about one special leader who stands here who has exclusive hotline to God, but now. Even if you became a Christian yesterday, the Bible tells us that we can now hear God. Isn't that amazing? So that's why we come and we have, you know, we have songs ready, we have things. But the whole point that we come with a loose morning is so that you come, like we had just a moment ago, and that lady was sharing from Romans 8. You could feel faith rising. That is the heart of the leaders here. That's our heart that all of you, say all of you, all genuinely all of you would, would be full of faith that as you now have free access to this word, God's going to speak to you. He wants to speak to you. That's what makes church exciting, isn't it? Otherwise, it's just this predictable thing where a few people do everything. But the joy of a church, a body, where everyone is knowing the word, loving the word, sharing the word, man, that's, that is genuinely exciting. That really is. And let me say this. I was an atheist for 20 years of my life. Don't assume... Please never get used to this type of church. Don't ever just think, oh, this is, oh, it's, you know, looking at all the weaknesses and the things that aren't perfect. I remember vividly coming into a school hall about this time of year, 20 years ago, as an angry atheist in England. And the Holy Spirit ambushed me, and I've never looked back. I'm still trying to figure out, I can't actually believe I believe this. I actually believe that God is real and that Christianity is the truth. And, and, and at the heart of it is a people who know the word. It's not about rock stars at the front. It's about normal men and women who know the word, who love the word, who believe the word, who actually have it in their, in their being. So with those kind of words introduction, can you just turn with me to John chapter 5? There's so many scriptures we could look at today. I want to just uh, <clears throat> look at this scripture. And, and the way I'm going to do this morning is um, two points. Look at that, not three. You can have a hooray. Just two, just two. It's a bit of a cheat, actually, because my second point has about 15 sub-points. But uh, I want to look at this title, How to Read the Bible Devotionally, and I want to start with the, with the devotionally bit first. Uh, the definition of devotion is love, loyalty, or the American strength, enthusiasm for a person, an event, or a cause. I love that. Devotion, what it means is love and loyalty or enthusiasm for a person, an event, or a cause. And it's really vital that as we come to thinking about the Bible, and I'm going to get very, very practical in just a few moments, that we start with devotion. We start with the fact that it is entirely possible to read the Bible, to know the Bible, and to be 100 miles away relationally from God. 
That's the scary point. I want to start with a little bit of a kind of warning slash encouragement. I'll prove it. From John 5, verse 39. Jesus here, he's talking to some guys called um, uh, the Pharisees. And he says, you diligently study the scriptures. Great! Well done! Because you think that by them you possess eternal life. That sounds right, doesn't it? To me, that sort of sounds right. If I just stop there, you diligently, you diligently study the scriptures, good, because by them you think that you will possess eternal life. Do you understand? So it sounds like Jesus is saying something I would totally agree with. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Absolutely. Look at this. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Isn't that amazing? Just read that again. You diligently... You really work hard at studying the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. It is possible to diligently study the Bible and refuse to come to Christ. What is the difference between reading the Bible devotionally and reading it in any other way? It's that. This is a... Can I be blunt reading the bible is a means to an end it's actually a means to an end that's not to belittle it but sometimes we have the the uh, the trinity in our heads of the father son and holy bible that, that we so revere the bible we actually functionally revere the bible over the person the real person he's he's invisible to us we can't see him now but one day faith will be replaced by sight that's the promise of scripture that he's actually real. And this beautiful word, it's in authority over us, but actually it is through the word we come to a person. That's really, really important. Because you can know the Bible, you can diligently study the Bible and not come to him. You can have a heart that is absolutely hard. You can be a Pharisee in the 21st century. You can be judging your heart out and know the scripture inside out, back to front. And when you're in a Christian country that's very familiar with the Bible in one form or another, it's something that's around and it's not a new thing. The great danger is, of course, is that you can know it, but your heart is not in devotion at all. Your heart is not in devotion. There's a very hilarious story by Wayne Grudem. Some of you will know the name Wayne Grudem, an amazing reformed theologian. Uh, American, brilliant guy, and he was actually in Cambridge many years ago uh, with another group of clever clogs, um, clever dudes, making a new translation of the Bible called the ESV, which is now a bestseller, the English Standard Version, and he spent about a year doing this, and they were translating it from various other authorized versions and stuff, and he tells the story of how he was studying, that he was, he was in the Bible eight hours a day studying it. And over the weeks he was there, he just got tired. And so little bit by little bit, he stopped having his morning devotions. He was just so tired. He thought, wow, this is crazy. I'm, I'm in the Bible. I'm writing the Bible, for goodness sake. I mean, no, surely I don't need to read it in a different manner. And after a few weeks, he said it was extraordinary the negative fleshly fruit he saw in his soul. Despite the fact that eight, nine, ten hours a day, he was actually translating the Bible. And in the illustration, he reads it out. He says, I noticed in my heart, anger started to rise. Frustration, impatience, 
grumpiness, lust of the flesh. It's amazing. You can be in Cambridge translating the Bible for a living and not reading the Bible devotionally. There is a difference. There's a difference. That's what Jesus was saying to these guys here. And there's a difference um, in our lives. And I say that because also the, the honest reality is, I mean, I don't know the stats, but a massive chunk of the most passionate Christians in the world can't read. I mean, just to state the obvious, you know that. Huge sways of third world countries where their passion, their devotion, their love for God, the signs and wonders and miracles and fruit of the Spirit that they're seeing leave us in the dust. Oh, but they can't actually read a word because they, they've never been taught. But they know the stories. They've heard the stories. They don't ever actually get to read. That's a, a, just a, a truth. I, someone said that to me. I was like, oh yeah, of course. I can so... Um, it's almost like an educational snobbery that underlies my approach to this sometimes. What is their theology like? Well, God loves good theology, but the reality is it's, it's, it's not quite as simple as simply saying that. I was in India a few months ago um, with a guy, and uh, we were talking about church planting, and, and I said, oh, I've never actually plant, planted a church. I've been involved with lots of church planting, and I led a church and stuff. And he said, oh, I've, I've planted 200 and I said, what? I'm sorry, I, mis- I misheard you. And he said, no, no, I planted 200. And he was just beaming with joy. And he told me how him and his family in Mumbai, a city of 20 million, would, 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 would go to a part of the city, go to a hotel, pray for three days, him and his teenage kids, for three days. They would go back home. He would then walk around, find people of peace, lead them to Christ, lead their whole family to Christ. And then a church would be established, which he would then leave and come back and visit on. He'd done that 200 times today. And I don't know if he could read. I just don't know. The illustration I'm saying is, we are in one part of the world, and what God wants us to understand is, devotion, your heart, your heart is supremely important. Your inner life. So, with that said... It's devotion first. It's about us coming to the Lord. And the kind of warnings that you can read it and your heart can be cold, which I could say an awful lot more on, but I'm aware of time. What about some practical tips, Tom? How do we therefore read it in a way that's devotional? How how do we do it? And all I can say is, um, this is not rocket rocket science, so some of you will probably be rather underwhelmed by this. But hopefully it will help at least a few people here today. And I've just got my points, which are in no particular order. First of them is this. You need to be convinced of its intrinsic power. Sounds obvious, doesn't it? Unbelief is certainly one of the number one things that Jesus um, came up against. Unbelief. Cynicism. Doubt. Doubt was something that plagued... um, the followers of Jesus. And there is a simplicity in this idea that is hugely key. And again, in a very educated society like this one, please don't switch off as I say this. The scary thing is you can know 50 times more Bible than someone who knows a few scriptures, but actually believes them, who actually believes them. One of the great dangers is, is that we endlessly need, want new stuff, new teaching, new things. And actually, we'd, we haven't actually believed the things we've already heard. 
certainly something I can see in my life. So we need to understand that the first step is having confidence and faith that the Word of God really has power to change our lives. I think, I think next week Brian's going to speak on the authority of Scripture. And that will take this point much further. This is a huge, huge uh, starting point for us. Jesus, fascinatingly, used the Bible when he was himself tempted by Satan. It's fascinating, isn't it? God himself quotes the Bible. He doesn't just do something new and funky. He knows the Bible. It seems he was studying Deuteronomy, because I think all of the quotations that come out of him are from Deuteronomy. He, he knew it. He believed in it. One of the wonderful things I, I love about the founding father of New Frontiers, uh, Terry Virgo, who many of you will know, is when, if you've ever noticed about him, he leaks Bible. He just leaks it more than any man I've ever met. He doesn't leak language that is just sort of new and trendy. He, he leaks Bible. There is something about Terry and the men and women who have led this movement, which is now a couple of thousand churches across the world, which just has fundamental confidence that the Word of God is actually the Word of God. So we have to come with a sense of faith. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, to turn there quickly with me, 2 Timothy 2. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, says this in verse 15, uh, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And then uh, chapter 3, verse 14, he says, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, say all Scripture, is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So first of all then, I can't make that happen in your heart. You, you make time for what you value. My prayer is, is that somehow, through my very limited weak words, you will be somehow in your soul convinced there is something completely unique about this book. It is not like any other book. And as much as I like a, you know, a good paperback, and, I, and they look really, you know, the designs are amazing nowadays, and they draw my eyes, and I even have a book account like with my job as a pastor. I have an entire... I can spend money on books, and I love that. The great danger is the amount of information out there from other people commentating on it ultimately stops us from seeing it as unique. We need to see it, first of all, as something that has intrinsic power. Let's get really practical. Number two, I'm gonna, this, this is so in danger of being misinterpreted as legalism, but there you go. I'll just trust that you know that these are Tom's tips. Say Tom's tips. And they are not law. By grace we have been saved. By grace we will be sustained. By grace we are helped. It is by grace. And his grace is so glorious. However, Dallas Willard wonderfully said, when we hear about the grace message, we sometimes therefore wrongly conclude that any effort is legalism. And he says there is a difference between effort and earning. So I want to preface everything I say strongly, massively by that. I am not talking about earning anything. 
God is the hero. God died on a cross. God was raised from the dead. Jesus is the center. This is his church. It will be about him in eternity. He's the king. I'm not impressive. He's the one that sustains me in every sense. It's all about him from beginning to end. And that is glorious. There is nothing you can ever do to earn anything. And in fact, it's offensive to him. If you, even in your heart, think in some small way you are adding to what he did at Calvary. That's so offensive. He really worked hard. He's not impressed by anything we're ever going to do. Hallelujah. You can be so average for the rest of your life. Hallelujah. I say that to my girls and people think I'm awful. I say work hard, practice hard, do your best. But darling, you will, darlings, three of them, Daisy, Lily and Poppy, Almost certainly, you're going to be average at some point in your life. Even if you're the best at elementary school, you'll then get to middle school and go, oh, I'm not the best anymore at whatever it is, etc. throughout your life. And coming to terms with that and going, but I can, I'm, I'm just average in a way. But I'm so loved by God. He's impressive. So there you go. That's my preach for the moment. He, he's impressive. We don't earn anything. But effort is required. Self-discipline is required. When Jesus says, deny yourself, that doesn't just happen. Your old self will keep trying to be alive. You have to kill it. You have to kill your old self. You're in a battle. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the, the great preacher from London, he says, when you become a Christian, there's now two people. There's two, there's two people. Your true self, your new self, who is alive in Christ, and the old remnants of your old fleshly self. Absolutely, this is your truest identity. A saint by identity, not a sinner by identity. Your truest identity is now by grace you've been a new creation. But there is that old self that needs effort to kill every day. And don't underestimate that. Don't underestimate that. Therefore, what practical tips can we do not to earn anything, but by the Spirit, apply a bit of effort to see wonderful results? First thing, getting up early. <laughs> what? Am I being that? I'm just talking about the things that have changed my life. Okay, I became a Christian when I was 20, and the first battle I had, to, I had to just embrace was laziness. It's in the Bible. I was lazy. Comfort idol was massive. And uh, I, I think this nation works very hard, but I can pick up on it. It's like, we're going to go for it, you know? Woo! There's an American work ethic that my point probably, in a way, ties into. You're like, yes, get up early. But I really mean this. Um, now... Again, you can misinterpret this, but I noticed every great man or woman in history that I read about or I knew something about seemed to be an early riser. I can even argue it from the Bible. In John, uh, not in John, where is it? Oh, I found it and I've lost it. Anyway, oh no, there we go. I think it's Matthew 6. Anyway, Jesus talks about getting up early. There you go, it's in the Bible. He got up early where he's very dark, it said. He didn't even have coffee. He got up. I remember years ago, uh, I was staying with um, the son of Terry Virgo, Joel Virgo, at this conference. And um, well, it wasn't even a conference. It was like, it was like a kind of, we went away to this retreat center with all these leaders. And it was just getting to know each other. And we all stayed up late and had a laugh. And it was great. First thing in the morning, it's pitch black. And it was about 5.30. And I became aware, we're all sort of staying in this dormitory. Because it was like a stately home, big, big sort of posh house thing. And I became aware of something, somebody moving around in the darkness. And I, I was, this is early, who's that? It was Joel. And he was just quietly getting up, sort of hair on end, getting his Bible. And he just sort of slipped out of the room. Everyone else was snoring away. And the Spirit said to me, be like him. 
Be like him. Choose, choose to become someone who, who gives God time before you do anything else, before you blow it with your wife, before you blow it with your kids, before you blow it with, with your workmate. Just be with me. Something in my spirit was so simple. I just thought I knew I had a choice in my life. Either I'm going to just sleep, you know, do my disciples at Gethsemane impression, or I was just going to go, this is something, yeah, lots of stuff you can't control. You know that. You are not in control of so much of your life. You can control this. Hallelujah. Come on, if you're a control freak, go yes. <laughs> We're always being told we can't control anything, and that's basically true. But you can control this. You can go, boop, turn my, turn my alarm off. And often, I often say this to younger people, but for all of us, the real hardship is not so much getting up early, it's going to bed early. Now, for some of you, you're like, Tom, I like going to bed early. I get that. But... But at different life stages, that is a big choice, actually. To, I'm going to go to bed at a reasonable time so I can get up early. It has made a massive difference in my life, that one decision. And whenever I disciple guys, even men in their 30s and 40s, I go back to basics every time. Talk to me about how you get up in the morning. And it's amazing how few of them actually do it. And they're just living on fumes. They're living off past days or they're living off the sermon they heard a few weeks ago rather than their own getting up in the morning and doing it. Secondly, quiet spot. Jesus definitely said something similar as well, Matthew 6. He said, when you pray, go into your room so your father alone sees you. I know some of you, practically this isn't easy, but the principle is important. The principle is important. A key element in reading the Bible devotionally is that you're doing it where you're not going to get distracted. I mean, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's turning up your phone onto airplane mode. You know, it's, it, it's just for some part of your life actually doing it. I remember years ago uh, when I was working with lots of college students, there was a guy who's now one of the best designers in, in England, in London. He's amazing. And I was discipling him, sort of coaching him. What time do I need to finish, by the way, Brian? Okay. And um, he, uh, I said to him... Everyone's like, no, five minutes. Um, it's a dangerous question. Let's open up for a vote. And he, um, anyway, he was, he, every time I met with him, he was just like a, I loved him to bits, but he, he, was, he was a bit of a nightmare in a way. And I said to him, just tell me three books of the Bible, why they were written, who they were written for, what were the main issues in the places that they were actually writing for, and what are the main solutions that the writer gives. Just tell me just three. And this is a highly intelligent, brilliant man. He was like, um... And I just got righteously cross. I said, Mr. X, I can't make something happen in you. I'm not a magician. Go away and read the Bible. And then when you're confused, or at least when you've read it or whatever, come back and then we will start to talk. I can't make something happen unless you do this and actually just read it. I was quite firm. And he went off and I thought, oh no, have I blown it? And the next day, he came back and he bought me three commentaries that were really expensive, particularly for a college student, as a gift. And said, Tom, that was the kindest thing you ever did. Thank you. So all I'm trying to say is, we don't have to overcomplicate this. Getting up early, reading it is really important. Third thing, or next thing, I would say is time is needed. Time. Time. The kingdom of God. How many illustrations of that about the kingdom of God being small and slow and something that takes time. I know this is so anti the age in which we live where we want it now and we want it 
samedaydelivery.com. We want, you know, we're frustrated with our slow internet connection. Everything is waging war. And you have to just be real about this. God does speak quickly and suddenly. But the, the, the main way, the, the ways of God are often slow ways. Reading the Bible, meditating on it. It's like having a fine wine or a beautiful single malt whiskey or whatever is your preference. And, and you just, it's like sipping it, meditating on it. You don't just go, glug. There we go, did it in three seconds. Nice, done. You're meant to be thinking about it. Like that lady was earlier, thinking about that passage in Romans. Listening. What does the Holy Spirit, what's he saying? Go back again. So the obvious point I'm saying is, hurry, again, Dallas Willard said, one of the biggest, if not the biggest danger of our age is hurry. He said, ruthlessly remove hurry from your life. That's a brilliant phrase. Ruthlessly remove hurry. Now this is, for most of us, we're living on adrenaline rather than the Holy Spirit, functionally. We're living on caffeine rather than an internal posture that is actually unhurried and basically fundamentally at rest in the goodness of God. So with, you, can't, you can control reading the Bible, opening up. You can't control what happens. You need to just submit. Do you understand? And giving God some time. Giving God time is really, really key. Um, I would also say, I used to always say, oh, I need a certain amount of sleep per day. And this is a dangerous one again, but I would just say, be open to the fact that at different times in your life, God, I mean, I've, the last few weeks, God's woken me up twice in the middle of the night, 3 a.m. And I've woken up really, really alert, which is not humanly like me. I sleep deep. And I'm like, and I, had, I actually had weird dreams. And I, and, I, and, I, and I would want to get back to sleep. And I felt the Spirit saying, no, 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 I've woken you up for a reason. Get up and pray for that person. So I guess I'm just trying to lift your faith a little bit that actually time itself, whether it's like that you know, daily time in the mornings or, or whether it's spontaneous in the middle of the night, or whatever it is, is needed. That's my very fundamental point. Is I don't want you to get to the end of your life and just be like, I didn't, I prioritized so much other stuff that, that, you know, and I would say this is that it's not just about, I'm not trying to add something in. I'm saying how you do the things you already do. There's wonderful available ways now that you can live in the word all, all the time where you've got, you know, the Bible playing on audio tape or whatever it is or audio phones. Um, so time is needed though. Um, all scripture is good. Next point. All scripture is God-breathed. Just say that just to free you. Sometimes I know I can be like, what, what bit of the Bible should I read? And the Lord does direct us, as I'll talk about in a minute. But I guess just a really wonderful promise of God is, all scripture is God-breathed. All of it. Even the bits that seem a bit weird. And you're like, what the heck is happening here? Like, I don't really understand this. Is this first point, come back. If you really fundamentally think, Lord... You're here, you're real, you're a person, and this book you've given to me, I'm coming to it in faith. And even if this bit I'm reading at first seems a bit strange, I'm going to choose to believe that all of Scripture, not just the classic kind of fridge magnet verses, all of it really somehow is here for a reason and you want to, um, to bring to, to, to my attention. Um, and therefore, I guess, 
you, this sounds strange. You, I think it's okay. My first point about devotion and pers- being close to a person is my biggest thing. But I would also say it's okay to be, in a, in a strange way, at times, somewhat mechanical, I think. It's the only way I can put it. I don't think it's wrong to just read the Bible. You know, you don't have to have like this burning bush moment of where he says, now turn to Psalm 35. You know, those do happen and I want to live faithful for that. But I feel like there's just the old-fashioned thing of just, just reading it. Does that make sense? Just, just getting it into you. I think as parents, I'm a parent with three small kids, 11, 9, and 6. I felt God say to me, you know that passage I read about Timothy? How from infancy you knew the scripture. I think often when they're little, it's just getting it into them. I don't think we, we have to try and explain everything. I was so amazed recently talking to some friends of mine in, in uh, Visalia. They've actually chosen to homeschool, but um, that's another whole subject. But um, they, it's amazing. They've got really small kids. And what they do in the evening is, for 15 minutes before bed, um, you know the, what's it, the Life app or the Life Bible? You, you, you know the one, that really popular uh, Bible app. So I can't remember what it's called. But basically an app which re- you can actually press a button and it reads the, the, the scripture for you. And the scripture kind of scrolls through it. I'm sure many of you are aware of this. I will try and find it and let if, if this is news to you. Anyway, they sit with their kids, their tiny kids. And they use the ESV translation. And they just sit. And just from Genesis, they just go chronicle through the whole year, 15 minutes before bed. They just sit. They don't try and explain it. And even though the, sort of the slightly more graphic passages of the of the bible they let it just be in there and they just let it wash over their kids and it's so obvious isn't it but i thought i i put so much energy into reading books to my kids but they're normally like fairy tales or i don't know something and i thought that's such an obvious wisdom there just using the god-given things that are around us and that kind of rhythm didn't even rely on them having to do it they just pressed play and sat there and let it wash over so before they went to bed for them the scripture was just in them. It wasn't about them feeling the pressure to try and preach the scripture to them. It was just getting it into their, into their heads. Um, I became a Christian when I was 20, but I grew up with my dad. And we used to walk through the English countryside. And he used to just always be talking about the Bible. So it got into me. I didn't believe it. But then when I became a Christian, it was like activated. So I think there's a different, there's a, quite a pressure release. If you've, if you've got little ones, it's not about always understanding. But get it in their little brains um, next point is listen to what the Holy Spirit is giving you an appetite for so again a whole other sermon but the Holy Spirit lives in every Christian and just ask him as well as you can read the Bible in a year or somewhat mechanically where you're just working through it I'm learning to sort of believe that if he's my friend and he actually wants to speak to me even though his voice is normally gentle it's not normally this big booming thing it's real it is real for every Christian, for some of you, you need to really hear that because you don't believe he speaks to you, and he does. It's just gentle. Um, I am, at the moment, just personally, feeling faith, rather than reading the Bible in one just way through I'm just asking him every day. I'm just pr- thank you, God. Start my day. Thank you, Lord, for a new day. Thank you that I slept last night. Thank you for coffee in my stomach. Thank you. And, and then just, just as if I was talking to my wife almost, just talking to a friend. And what I'm finding every day is as I'm just starting with some, just listening and talking to him and praying to him, a scripture will come to mind, something. And I will feel excitement about going to that scripture for that moment. Now, as I say, as I've already mentioned, reading just the Bible all the way through 
is almost that fundamental discipline I would just encourage everyone to be doing. Always living in it from beginning to end. The whole big story, not just your favorite bits. But I would also say, ask him, it's almost like, where is your appetite? Do you understand that? Because if you're going through a tough time, so me and Josie, my wife, are going through a pretty tough time at the moment. We've moved country, we're going through a lot of grieving, loads of grief, pain, real physical, emotional pain is very, very heavy. It's like a heaviness we're both feeling for loads of reasons. Missing grandparents, just culture shock, you know, you get the idea. So I'm, I'm like, where is the Bible talks about pain? Oh, 2 Corinthians. Because I'd read it mechanically many, many times, or just, you know, methodically, I just happened to remember, and the Spirit reminded me, 2 Corinthians is where Paul talks about being in agony. So I'm slowly, like a fine wine, reading 2 Corinthians. Not hurrying it. Just a verse a day, sometimes a verse every few days. Other times, you won't be feeling like that. And you will want to read... I mean, so for example, the narrative. The Old Testament has lots of stories. I find sometimes I have an appetite for like what's called the epistles, the letters, which are particularly Paul's like, wow, what? I, think, I think I understand what he's saying. This is like strong meat yeah it's not easy if you're feeling like up for that get into that sometimes I just need a story yeah I just need to read a story and and just being vaguely in tune with what your appetites are inside I know it sounds obvious but so oh, I feel just like reading some story about something from the old testament that I th- oh yeah so so I think giving yourself freedom to do that next one I would say this is just for me again. I tend to read it silently at first until the Holy Spirit speaks to me. What does that mean? What I mean by that is there's something in that scripture you're reading that jumps out at you. That's all I'm saying. The Holy Spirit speaking to me. For years, I was like, I'd hear people say that and get all like paralyzed with fear. Like, what does that mean? I don't hear a voice in my head. I just mean you're reading it and something in you goes, oh, wonder what. So just read it silently until, until something in you. Um, so it jumps out. And then, next thing is, wrestle with the question, what did the original writer originally mean when he wrote it to the original audience for the original purpose? What's the word original? What did the original writer originally mean when he wrote it to the original audience in the original setting? You must develop that practice. That is really important. That is something that is, you can all do. It's not rocket science. But you have to ask yourself, because the huge, huge idol of our age is the self, is us. And so what will happen is you will read it, and you will, what's called proof texting, where you'll basically grab it and go, oh, I think it means this, and this has helped me. Now, interestingly, New Testament writers do use Old Testament scripture way out of context. I'm sure you've seen that. They do do that. But, Best practice to start is always, what did the original writer mean when he wrote this? And I would encourage you to do this devotionally. I'm not just saying doing this. This is, this is where I think this isn't just for university scholars. This is for everyone. I want my kids to be thinking, what did Paul mean to Timothy when he wrote to him? Where was Paul? Oh, he was in prison. Think about that. Imagine it. Try and 
feel what it would have felt like. Why was he writing to Timothy? Who was Timothy? What was Timothy like? Why was Paul saying, don't be afraid? Maybe Timothy was afraid. Why was he afraid? Oh, there were scary people in the church. Who were those scary people? Where was this scary church? Do you understand? You, it's just developing that. And you will come in the mornings with all of your things for the day. Okay? This is a discipline. You will want an answer about that meeting I've got at 3 o'clock. That's your pragmatic need. I want an answer about whether my kids do dance or not. I get that. But there is a discipline about getting lost in the story every day. Saying, Holy Spirit, help me to... to, It's like a humbling. It's an attitude of humility where you say, I'm in faith trusting that there is real worth in understanding what it originally meant. Or else you can use the scripture in a way that isn't intendedly what it's meant. And that is really not helpful. So ask yourself that question. Next one, which ties in with this, use commentaries. Use, I mean, the Bible, you know, the the Bible tells us that there's Ephesians 4 teachers, right? They are men and women given by God who have a particular gift to illuminate and to teach us. And the wonderful thing is nowadays, many of them have written books where you can access There's so many websites. I really mean this. I will often read something and think, okay, silently asking the Holy Spirit, what was the original thing? And I'll get part of the way. And then I'll read some great, someone from the past often is best. But there's lots of great people as well, online or from a commentary. And they will make a comment. Now, this is only man's opinion. Always remember that. But often there is such power when it gets unlocked. And you understand it. Use commentaries. Use different translations, I'd also say. Don't just stick with the translation that you're used to. I've often used the ESV, which is the English Standard Version, which I think often as a church we, you guys would use. It's a great translation. However, bam, 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 controversy, I, a few weeks or a few months ago, felt genuine faith to actually go back to the NIV, but not the latest translation of the NIV, not the 2011, which, if you know controversially they made loads of changes to it which I don't think were right the 1984 one which is the one I got and I got rebound so it's old inside it's the, it's the best one I think that 1984 translation which is true to the text but it has a warmth to it that for me personally um, I just felt God saying yeah use that at the moment but I use them together but my main one I'm living at the moment is is that different translations are so helpful now, once you've read it in your head, reread it again um, out loud. Romans tells us in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing. Actually means by hearing it. So read it out loud. It's amazing the difference reading something out loud makes. I grew up um, with imperfect parents, okay? And they may well listen to this, so I love you, mum and dad. And... Um, and you know you're not perfect, so I hope that doesn't hurt too much. But the reason I'm saying this is one of the things I loved growing up, despite their imperfections, was they would, one of my abiding memories in my life was them having their time together. And they would read the Bible, a little section each day, out loud. I remember that. And my dad would use a ruler. I don't know why, just really slow. He'd like, read it. And then, da 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 Mouth of breakfast. And I'd just be wandering around getting into my school clothes. Hi guys, I'm off to school now. But there was something about reading it out loud that was, that was very, very important. Learn, next thing, learn to pray it. 
Learn to pray it. Yeah, the Psalms are written prayers. I love spontaneous prayers. However, we can learn to pray, particularly in the Psalms, but throughout the whole Scripture. So you, 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 use, the, you use the Scripture to pray, to thank God through it. Thank you, Lord, that you are my shepherd. Thank you that that is who you are. You pray through the Scripture. So when you think, I don't know what to pray, part of the reason sometimes is because the Scripture's not in us. Next thing is the power of contrast. What do I mean by that? This is a very simple technique that has been hugely helpful for reading the Bible devotionally. This is almost, almost my last point. <clears throat> um, and also for preaching. And my final point is that we're all called to preach. But I'll get to that in a moment. Um, but what I mean by the power of contrast is... When you read the scripture, contrast, so if you read, the, the Lord is my shepherd, great. Now, by this point, you're reading it out loud to yourself. Thank you that you're, thank you that you're my shepherd. Contrast, thank you that you're not my boss. Thank you that you're not my hard taskmaster. Thank you that you're not um, an, un, uh, an unreliable spouse. Thank you that you're not a nagging Someone, you know what I'm saying? So what I do, you just you contrast it. And suddenly what happens is that one truth, which is the Lord is my shepherd, which we've heard a thousand times, you go, yeah, you are a shepherd. You're not these things. The power of contrast is so helpful. So and you can do that with everything. Every time you read scripture, don't just focus on what it says, the truth about God. Allow it to then uh, have some fun with saying, well, that means you're not this. Yay! You know, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, thank, you, thank you. That means that, actually, um, when I feel condemnation, that's not from you. Because I'm in Jesus, and Jesus isn't condemned. If I'm in Jesus, that means Jesus is never feeling condemnation from the Father. So, do you understand? You can do it with every scripture that you go through. The power of contrast. Final point I'll say is this, is then preach it. I really mean that. What I mean by that is, of course, I don't mean that everyone is called to preach as a main gifting in their life. But we are all called to proclaim daily, if, if over no one else, ourselves. Over yourself. Preach. I mean physically. I'll get up and I'll walk around a bit. I'm like, thank you God, this is who you are. Thank you Lord that you're the, the God of all comfort and the, the Father of all mercy and that you are, you are for me. You're not against me. And as you do this, you will find, you will find something starts to shift in your soul as you listen to yourself. I hope that's helpful. I'm aware we've, we've come to the end of our time. Can I pray for us?